using the text Ephesians 2 and 6, God raised us up, that's elevation, raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms. And I've told you that for you to be elevated, you're going to have to take spiritual authority over your life because the enemy doesn't ever want you to be elevated. He wants you to be broke or bound by drugs or your marriage to be in trouble. He wants you to have pain. When you're there, that's where he wants you. That's his plan for your life. So you literally have to take authority over him and say, what you vote for my life doesn't count. Jesus voted for me. I'm casting my vote with him. I will experience elevation. And in Luke 9 and 1, Jesus gave his disciples power and authority. We always focus on that first word, which is power. Get more power. Get more power. And oftentimes, we don't even have the authority to use what power we've already got. Authority, and whether you can use it or not, is determined by your level of spiritual maturity. And so there are different levels of spiritual maturity, and there are different levels of spiritual authority. And I've been teaching on the 12 levels of spiritual authority. Today, I want to talk to you about level number seven. Now, I'm going to go through these within just the next couple of weeks, the ones that remain, two or three weeks. And I want to speak today from the subject, authority over seasons. I find my text this morning in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 4. To everything, there is a season. Everything has a season. Everything has a season. That's your Bible. And notice this, a time for every purpose. Where? Under heaven. In this world, there is a time for every purpose under heaven. Now, it's important you note those, that phrase, under heaven. I'll get back to it. A time to be born and a time to die. Time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. Father, time to break down and a time to build up. Time to weep, time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. And the next four verses or so go on to talk about times to do other things, time to make war, time to make peace. All, all of these other things are there. And it keeps using the same Hebrew word over and over again that is used interchangeably. The word season and time are actually the same Hebrew word. So there is a time for every time. There is a season for every season. Father, I pray today that you will speak a word to us right now that will literally be transformative. <clears throat> Help us to understand the life principles in your word that we can align our lives with them and discover the transformation that these principles contain. Because your word is forever settled. That is to say, things may change, but the principles of your word never can. And I'm asking you to enable us to have spiritual discernment, to know how to embrace truth, how to separate truth from fiction and embrace the truth that is left in a way that it can truly cause us to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ, experiencing all of the elevation we were ever meant to experience as your children. In Jesus' name, and everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Now, would you allow me this morning to take a little time to build my case? We have attorneys. I'm looking at one right now. Michael, you have to build your case, don't you? You don't just walk into a courtroom and just hope the jury is going to get on your side. 
you better lay out the facts. Not only do you lay out the facts, you have to anticipate the questions that the facts themselves are going to generate. You can't anticipate the questions and then provide answers for those. Then you will never uh, succeed in defending your position or getting your point of view across. So give me just a little time. I want to point out that seasons are a fact of natural life. Everybody say natural life. Seasons are what? They are a fact of what kind of life? To everything there is a season or time for every purpose under heaven. That's natural life. And so there are four seasons of nature that our earth goes through every year. Spring, summer, fall, winter, right? We're accustomed to that. Though here in Houston, that's usually one hot blur, you know what I mean? <laughs> but there are four seasons. There are five seasons in a healthy relationship and in a marriage. To begin with, there is young love. That's the first season. <clears throat> it is followed by realistic love. Realistic love is when you fall out of love with who you thought you married and fall in love with a real person. <laughs> Amen. That, that's true. Amen. Everybody thinks a certain thing about someone when they first meet them, and after a while, they come to accept reality, hopefully. Amen. The third is comfortable love. The fourth is renewing love. And the fifth is transcendent love. <clears throat> you also go through six predictable seasons in the cycle of life between birth and death. And these six predictable seasons we're all familiar with. If you're fortunate to live a full life, you will go through all of these. They are infancy, puberty, adolescence, young adulthood, middle age, and finally old age. Even these six are broken down into some subcategories, but there are six major movements, as it were, to the symphony of life. Again, there are several movements in the symphony of the cycle of reproduction and harvest. Things are born, they grow, they become mature, they reproduce, then they die. That's the cycle of living things in terms of harvest. The exception to this is when after giving birth, Rather than dying, that thing begins to grow again, and then it can give birth once more. This means reaching a productive stage again, that you can now repeat the growth and the birth cycle of new things being born. As you become more productive, new things are created, right? And once you stop growing, your productivity then goes on decline, and you begin to actually experience the process of death. In nature, death comes when something stop produces and is no longer productive. There are also seasons in the development of your life, whether that's a career, whether it's education, a task, an assignment. You begin with a task or a subject such as calculus or becoming an apprentice electrician or perhaps learning computer programming. When you begin, it masters you. You look at this stuff and you can't understand it, make any sense out of it because in your repertoire, your history of experience of having lived in this world, you have nothing within your history that helps you relate to what you're now attempting to understand. And so the first season is it masters you. Then after you learn enough and become experienced enough <clears throat> on, in the subject <clears throat> and what you're studying, the dynamics of your relationship with that subject changes and it no longer masters you. You're now managing it. 
The final season in the development of your life is when you make the subject you once didn't understand that mastered you that now you're managing becomes, you, it, you make it become your servant and you have mastered it. You're able to work this thing now. Whether that is your degree in law, whether that is being a doctor and going through uh, all of uh, the different uh, cycles of uh, educational develop, development all the way to rotation at the hospital, there is a point when you become its master. Now, seasons are a fact of life in this natural world. To everything, there is a time, a season for every purpose of things under the heaven. The reason that that word is placed there and it says under the heaven is that in heaven there are no seasons. There, and the cause for that is easily understood. In heaven there is no time. All of the stages that I gave you a while ago, whether it's the development of life processes or the development of careers or the development of relationships, they all require one thing. They require time. You can't be one way in one moment and another way in the same instant. It can't be hot or cold at the same moment to the same person. You can't be up or down <clears throat> at the same time. Now, it's important that I <clears throat> excuse me, uh, take just a moment here to digress that you can relate to what I'm talking about. As I said a moment ago, I'm going to try to provide you some answers, but I also not only want to give you answers insofar as they relate to this subject, I have to anticipate the questions, the answers I'm going to give you will undoubtedly cause to be raised in your mind. We need to be on the same page. And so let me just tell you about my, my friend Boudreaux, or rather let's leave Boudreaux alone, okay? Now I'm from Louisiana and I'm Cajun, so I get to tell Boudreaux jokes. But today we're going to give Boudreaux a rest. It's Thibodeau we're talking about today. Did you hear about the day they discovered oil on Thibodeau's property way back up on the bayou? The discovery was huge. Suddenly, Thibodeau had come into a lot of money. Thank you, Brother Michael, very much. And uh, thank you, sir. Thibodeau had come into a lot of money, and his life began to change. Amen. His friends told him that he needed to build himself a big new house befitting the status of someone who had acquired so much wealth. So Thibodeau called a contractor out and carefully explained, standing there on the bank of the bayou, spread his hands out, and in the inimitable Cajun way where you talk with your hands, he said, Shai, I done want my house right over there. And I don't want one of them one houses. I want one of them houses with another house on the top, you know. And I want my swimming pool. And he goes on and he tells him he wants his landscaped gardens. He wants a sauna. He wants a pool room. He wants a sitting room. He wants a kitchen. He wants bedrooms for the kids. And he wants one of them master bedrooms too. And he carefully explained that to get from that house on the bottom to that house on top, I want one of them curving ladders which you walk up. Amen. <laughs> and he said right at the foot of that curving ladder what you walk up, I want one of them halo statues. And this is Louisiana now. And so when halo statue immediately within the Catholic context of Louisiana, the contractor is puzzled for a moment, but then he figures it out. He thinks. He knows what everything is. And so after the house is built, Boudreaux and his wife and kids come, and Boudreaux is in awe. He's standing there, and he's looking at the, his landscape lawns and the pool, and he's looking at the kitchen, and he's looking at that house on top of the other house and all of that. And he walks inside, and everything is perfect until he comes 
to that ladder, what you go up to get up to that second house. And the spiral staircase is what that means. And he looks and he stops and he said, no, 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 I asked for one of them halo statues. And the contractor had put a statue of the Virgin Mary at the foot of the spiral staircase thinking that's what he meant. And the contractor said, well, that, that, that's, that's the, the, the statue with a halo. That's the Virgin Mary. He said, no, Shay. He said, I don't mean a statue of the Virgin. He said, I mean one of them things that go ring, ring, and you pick it up and go, halo, statue. <laughs> I get to tell those jokes. Amen. Now, I want to be sure we understand seasons. Okay. So don't, we don't end up with a statue over there or something, you know. You, you got to hear what I'm saying. The Bible says there is a time coming when harvest will occur year-round. It used to be that way in the beginning. In Genesis 3, 17 through 19, man failed. And one of the curses was that God told man, because you listened so forth to your wife, ate the fruit of the tree, that you will be getting food from the ground. It will be painful as having babies is for your wife. You'll be working in pain all your life long. The ground will, will sprout thorns and weeds, and you'll get your food the hard way. Man, after the fall, was cursed. And the ground literally seized and dried up and became non-productive. And God said, you're going to have to scratch out a living from the earth. There's no mention of seasons made in that. In fact, the Bible goes on to say in Revelation 22, 1 through 3, that whenever John was shown the end of time, he said that he saw the great city. And down the middle, and the city's coming down from God out of heaven to earth in those days, it goes on to say, and, but there will be a river that will be flowing. And down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Whoa, no seasons. Every month, a harvest. So you go from the original garden where everything bore fruit continually, as I will show you in a moment, to the curse where the ground dries up and now there's no fruit and Adam is eking out a living, struggling to survive. And to the end of time, when there will be no seasons, but it will be one continual harvest. This is further amplified upon in the book of Amos, chapter 9, 13. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. Usually there are several months between harvest and the sowing of the seed. You, you harvest in the fall, the winter comes, it's not until spring that you begin to sow seed again. What God is talking is an, is an acceleration. He's referring to a time that is coming when the seasons are going to be compacted and condensed together. When the element that brought into this world barrenness is resolved, hear what I'm saying, and sin is dealt with, the earth is going back to its original state of harvest 24-7. Seven days a week, amen, 12 months out of the year. When you look at scripture, and it's easy for us to miss this if you don't look at it from God's perspective, here's what happens. Living in a fallen world as part of a, a fallen race ruled by a fallen Lord, we have been indoctrinated to accept some things the way they are. 
We do not critically examine them for the, from the perspective of us attempting to ascertain or discern whether those things are truth or not. What happens is your perceptions, your paradigms, your presuppositions then become your reflection of reality. And so we look at seasons and say they've always been here since grandma was here and way back before then. They're supposed to be here. Not necessarily so. Seasons are actually an accommodation of grace to fallen and sinful man. Man, the ground was cursed, and God had mercy on him and allowed him a harvest season. From the beginning, the earth was to be cursed when man sinned. That is, when man sinned from that beginning, the earth was to be cursed. But God, who is so full of love and grace, who had just said, you're going to struggle to scratch your food out of the dirt because you've sinned, has made this one exception. Once a year, I want to show you what it used to be like. I want you to have a season. And at the end of time, when I push the sin thing aside and I've got it dealt with and it's judged, once again, you're going to see how it used to be. And in Genesis 2, 5, the B clause in verse 6, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. You say, why were there no seasons then? This explains why. The earth was, was covered. A mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. There is speculation. None of us were around then. But what they theorize is that early in the beginning of the earth, the earth was surrounded by clouds, much as some of the sister planets, such as Venus are, and other places in the solar system are surrounded by clouds. What this does is it creates a constant temperature, a greenhouse effect, as it were, on that planet that is surrounded by clouds. They claim that, for example, at Venus, there is no north pole that is cold and south pole with a hot equator as there is here. And when the earth was surrounded by clouds, and even science agree that I'm talking about regardless of what you believe about creation, originally the earth was a clouded planet. And they believed that when that occurred, the temperature of the earth was constant. Now watch this. They say we've gone through ice ages and other things since that time, but originally it was surrounded by clouds. The Bible seems to agree with that. There was no rain. The earth was watered by mist that came up from the earth. This is actually quite a phenomenal thing. Jewish people reading this verse actually have pioneered the most innovative and the most successful means of irrigation. They call it mist irrigation. Read about it. You go to Israel after crossing over from the Palestine or other Arab countries, it is like you're walking into a veritable paradise. Why? They've pioneered mist irrigation based upon this verse right here from the Bible. And it has transformed the desert and made it blossom like a rose. They claim this is where they got it. And so what happened was mankind became so sin that God said, I'm going to destroy this world with a flood. In Genesis 7, 11 through 12, it said in the 600 year of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, the springs of the great deep burst open or burst forth and the floodgates of heaven were open and the rain fell. For the first time, there was rain. The water vapor around the earth ceased to exist. All of that condensed into rainfall. Precipitation fell on the earth. The earth was flooded. The cloud cover was now gone, thus paving the way for the cold at the extreme ends of the, of the planet, the warmer regions in the equator. What is significant about this, and I've done a lot of traveling in the equator. I'm literally at the equator every week. When you're at, in equatorial zones near the equator, there are no seasons. 
when you're in those, those places, a year-round, the tropical climate still causes there to be year-long productivity. We're not accustomed to that, living as far north above the equator as we do. Here, we get one or two growing seasons. Further north in North America, one growing season. Some places up in, in the further north you go in North America, no growing season. Closer to the equator, year-round growing season. We have people here from Latin and South America that will tell you, for example, that trees like papaya and mangoes and others, they banana trees, they'll produce year-round because they're in equatorial zones and areas. After the flood, this was what happened. The water vapor that was in the heavens fell as precipitation upon the earth, paving the way for a cold north and a cold south with a warmer equatorial middle and the seasons to come. What did God say at the end of the flood? Genesis 8 and 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. This is where seasons actually were implemented. Started out no seasons, 100% productivity, harvest year-round in the garden, moved to a time of barrenness when men struggled, and an accommodation of grace made that God caused them to be able to survive to a time when seasons became more pronounced. Now, we need to understand this because of this, this thing I'm teaching about authority over seasons. Throughout the Bible, the, God's people would often experience abrupt, sudden changes in their seasons. Because you see, you don't just have seasons in nature and seasons in weather. As I mentioned earlier, you've got seasons even in productivity. You've got seasons in your careers. You've got seasons in your cycle of life. I've lived long enough to know what that song was talking about a while ago. I've been through some rough seasons and never would have made it had it not been for God that was by my side. Amen. You've heard me say it before. You're looking at a man that's been through 24 surgeries. I've been through some rough places. And that's why I could sit over there in the 730 service with a tear trickling down my cheek, laughing as I thought about what I made it through that I wasn't supposed to ever survive. Amen. In Daniel 2 and verse 20 through 22, we find out why seasons can be changed. And while I'm not talking necessarily about earthly seasons, I am talking about the season of life you're going through. I would bet that somebody in this building is walking through a rough season right now, a season of darkness, a season of pain. I've come to teach you today that we have authority to speak a word to our season. Amen. Amen. This is what Daniel said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his and he changes the times and the seasons. Mm. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. That's my God that I'm talking about. My God can change your season. And throughout the Bible, God changed seasons abruptly and suddenly. Regardless of what was going on around them, seasons got changed for God's people. In Genesis 26 in verse 1, the A-claw, or rather, let me go back. Even before then, Abraham's season was changed. God called him in Ur of the Chaldees, Genesis 12, working as a worker in an idol craftsman shop, that is, making idols, and God changed his season. Amen. 
Abraham went from being without a child to being the father of nations. God changed Isaac's season and gave him supernatural harvest during famine. Genesis 26 and verse 1, the A clause says there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that was in Abraham's time. Look what happened during that famine just in 11 verses down in verse number 12 through 13. Isaac planted crops in that land. And what? You planted in famine? Yeah, because I know a God that can change my season. Amen. And he planted crops and the land during a time of, of famine and then the same year reaped in a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him and the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. That's more significant than you may realize. Do you know that even with modern insecticides and with modern fertilizers and with John Deere tractors and combines, do you know they seldom ever have a 100-fold harvest? And before modern insecticides and fertilizers and before John Deere ever came around, a man sowed in the middle of a famine and God changed his season. Amen. Amen. Israel, the desert blossomed like a rose whenever they were walking through the Saudi Arabian Peninsula that I've spoken about the last couple of weeks where one-tenth of an inch of a rain falls every 10 years. It blossomed like a rose. For that to happen, God literally had to change their season. While everybody else around them, the season remained the same. Job's season was changed and God gave him twice as much as he ever had. God changed David's season and he went from being a criminal hiding in a cave to the king living on the throne. Elijah's season was changed. In fact, Elijah spoke a word that changed a three-year drought and released a season that Israel needed to be able to survive. The king of Nineveh changed the season for his nation by repenting before God and forestalling judgment for 200 more years. Ezekiel changed the season in the valley of dry bones. Esther changed the season of over her people in the middle of captivity. Daniel changed the season over Israel and Babylon and prayed until they were released and went back home. Jesus changed the season of nearly everybody he came in contact with. When you met Jesus, your season got changed. Amen. Whether it was the demoniac or the blind man, seasons got changed. Amen. Peter and John changed the season of the lame man at the beautiful gate by speaking a word, a de declarative word of faith over him. What I'm trying to get across to you is that God can change your season and make your desert blossom like the rose when everybody else is walking through the worst place they've ever seen in their entire life. Hear what I'm saying. I want to introduce you to somebody that has authority over seasons. Your life may have told you that your history and the accumulative lore and experience of men on this planet may have convinced you that seasons are there and you can't change it. And while it is true that as long as the earth remains, there is a season, I know a God who can step right in and change your season regardless of what time it is. Amen. Over and over again in scripture, we see where Jesus demonstrated he had authority over seasons. He was demonstrating authority over seasons when he rebuked that fig tree and it dried up. 
after he had gone to it looking for figs and not, and not been able to find anything. And as I've told you, it wasn't even the season for figs. The Bible declares that. Well, why did he curse the fig tree? Because as the second Adam, he was coming to restore what the first Adam lost. And when the tree did not align itself in compliance with spiritual authority, he cursed it. Amen. Because you see, when you get hooked up with God, things are supposed to start happening in your life. Amen. Amen. When Jesus told the disciples to cast their nets back into the water, if they fished all night and they had, they had not caught anything and suddenly the nets were so full of fish they broke, he was changing their season. When you look at the Bible from the perspective of the dynamic that I'm describing, you realize everywhere he went, he was changing somebody's season. Amen. That's what he did when he fed the multitude. He had to accelerate growth seasons. He took a few little fish and a few loaves, and while he held them in his hands, all of a sudden spring, summer, and harvest came, and those seasons were where fish were caught, fish were fried, bread was baked, all while it was still inside of his hand. You see, when it's in God's hands, he can accelerate your season. And what's amazing about this is that we always think that he did that as God. He didn't. He didn't do it as God. He was fully God and fully man, as the old creed goes. He was God and man fused together, not confused. Amen. He was God in man, reconciling the world unto himself. But what you need to know is he laid his divinity aside, and nothing that he did did he do out of his God nature or his God powers. According to Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus said, I'm God and man, but I'm going to do what I do as a man yielded to God rather than God living in man. Amen. The reason that encourages me is because you and I are the body of Christ in the earth today. Amen. If he did what he did as God in the earth, and come to the world in the form of man, I can't on my best day get close to that. No way. Amen. I, no way I can touch it. But if he did what he did, having laid his God powers aside to show me what a man can do yielded to God, that puts it within my grasp. I may have to reach high to reach the ring, but I can get it as the merry-go-round is going around. I can reach a little further and what I'm saying is, listen, you, you need to understand this. If Jesus could change seasons, we can change seasons as his body. Because he said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater than these shall you do. Now, if you want to debate it, I'm going to be cool with that. If you want to just live out your season and wait for your time, you can do it. Amen. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose. I've already told you the same Hebrew word is used interchangeably for season and time in both these places and throughout that chapter, in fact. In other words, to every season, there is a season. 
To every time, there is a time. What does that mean? You say, my time hasn't come. Yeah, but there's a time for your time. You hang around long enough, your time will come. You hang around long enough, your season will get here. Hallelujah. Only some of us don't want to wait. You're not hearing what I'm saying. And one reason I don't want to wait is so many of us are waiting for our ship to come in when really it's our plane landing at the airport. We don't even know it's arriving yet. Am I talking to anybody yet? Ecclesiastes 9, 11 to 12, I returned and I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. The next verse says, and man also does not know his time. The word time in both these places is the same word used in Ecclesiastes 3. That is, season and chance happen to everybody, but unfortunately, most men don't see their season. Mm, mm. That life has been set up by God in his infinite grace that though we are a fallen race ruled by a fallen Lord living in a fallen world, God still makes seasons come along. You need to understand that wasn't his preference. That was an accommodation of grace. But for those of us who are living, waiting for our season, there are three reasons most people don't benefit when their season comes. Number one, they don't recognize opportunity when it knocks. Most folk, it can be knocking on your door and you don't even realize who it is. Amen. What it is. Number two, when opportunity knocks, many people are not prepared for it when it does show up. They haven't spent their time in preparation. And the sad story that is often told is the epitaph for seasons unutilized is that I wasn't ready when it came. That's why you've got down seasons in your life. It's to get ready for when the cycle swings up. The third reason that many people do not seize their opportunity is they do not have a strategy and let their season pass before they act. Therefore, they fail to take advantage of their opportunity within its season. Turn to your neighbor and say, carpe diem, would you do it? Seize the day, what's what that means. Leonard Ravenhill said it like this, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. Hear what I'm telling you. If you're waiting for your ship to come in, my advice is three things. Be sure you recognize it, be sure you're prepared for it, and be sure you have a strategy for it. But if you don't want to wait for it to come in, let me introduce you to the second Adam who can change your season right now. Amen. This is what Peter said after the day of Pentecost and after the lame man was healed at the beautiful gate, Acts 3 and 21, when everybody's mouth was agog at what had happened, he said, 
speaking of Christ, that heaven would receive him until the time of the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. I've got to close, but let me just tell you that I think it's unfortunate that most believers believe this, and I'm serious, we only accept restoration in the sense of salvation. We think all Jesus came for was to save us and get us to heaven. Use heaven as a fire escape out of hell. Hello, somebody. Just hang on till the rapture, you know, and the sweet by and by. That's, that's what, this is why, forgive me, I don't mean to upset you if you're one of those saints that's older than I am with some gray in your hair and some experience under your belt, but that's one reason I never like those songs because it's always positioning blessing for when I die in the sweet by and by. When you can, as you've heard me say, you can have something sound on the ground that can be found while you're still around. If you hear what I'm talking about. Amen. You don't have to wait till you die for your pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. Our problem is we think restoration is only about salvation. It isn't. He came to restore us from the effects of the sins that Adam released into the human race. This is what he said, Joel 2 and 25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust. Let me add a few of my own. The kneeling locust, the locust lying on its back, the locust laying on its stomach. Amen. The locust hadn't even been here yet. God came to restore us from everything the enemy has taken away. Hear what I'm talking about. The Hebrew word for restore there literally means I'm making a covenant with you to complete what is missing. I'm making a covenant to complete what is missing. Whatever is missing because Adam messed up, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm going to fix it. In English, the word means to bring back into existence. It means to bring back to a state of health or soundness to put back to its former place or position and rank. It means to give back. It means to return or restitution of anything taken away or lost, saved by theft. It means to reproduce or reconstruct. And this is literally what that verse is saying, that God's going to give it back, reconstruct it, restore what was stolen. I'm making a covenant with you is what the Lord said that I'm going to do that. That was before Jesus came. Who was that covenant? It was Jesus Christ. It was through the person of Jesus that God made the covenant with us. Why do we settle only for restoration of our salvation? You need to tell the enemy that's trying to rob you of your elevation, get out of my way. I'm changing my season today. I'm changing my season right now. And so I conclude by telling you, you can change your season. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can change your season. There are many places I could go in the Bible, in the New Testament. I could tell you about the woman with the issue of blood. I could tell you about blind Bartimaeus. Let me instead go to the Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7, 25 through 30. For here was a woman who had a young daughter that had an unclean spirit, possessed of a demonic spirit. Now, she was not Jewish. The verse 26 says she was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, 
and she came and she asked Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children first be filled, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Now watch this, Syrophoenician, she's Greek. She's not Jewish. Jesus said, I am sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you realize the door to salvation would not be open for the Gentiles, which is anybody that's not Jewish, which includes that woman, for 10 more years? And that's when Cornelius would finally hear the gospel preached by Peter, Acts chapter 10. Remember it this way, 10 years to Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles, the door is open for salvation. First, the lost sheep of Israel, then 10 years later, to the Gentiles. This woman is a Gentile, she's Greek. We know that just from that phrase. Added into that are the ancestral tree that she is coming from and its branches, or is the ancestral tree with its branches. Syrophoenician, Syrian Phoenician. Who is the, are the Phoenicians? We know who the Syrians are. They still exist today. We also know who the Phoenicians are. In the Old Testament, they're called what? Philistines. Today, they're the Palestinians. Amen. No disrespect, but you need to know historically that there's always been a rivalry between them and God. They were the arch enemies, the rivals of the people of God, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Now, today, salvation is for everybody. So don't misunderstand me, but in the Old Testament era, and Jesus is living at the dawn of the New Testament age, you need to know that Syrians and Philistines were the enemies of ancient Israel. Not only that, her daughter was afflicted of a demonic spirit. Easy to understand because in the worship practices of both of those people, they worship demonic spirits. Mama and daddy, grandma, grandpa, great-grandma, great-grandpa had opened up a door that allowed a demonic spirit to come in we call it generational curses. I just want you to know if there's anybody here struggling with stuff because somebody back up the family tree, did some stuff and let some stuff come in, it can be fixed today too, amen. That's right, it can stop right now. Jesus, according to what we're told in, one, in another place, actually didn't even pay attention. She had to ask the woman the woman had to ask three times until finally Jesus, still walking, kind of curls his lip with disdain, looks out of the corner of his eye and said, it's not right for me to give the children's bread to dogs. The inference is like you. Oh, oh them's fighting words. Now, what I want you to notice is she did not put her culture above her need. Hear what I'm talking about. She refused to be insulted when she was being talked down to. Am I talking to anybody right now? You may not belong to a certain group of people, whether it's money or status or lead or whatever, but you don't have to let anybody rob you of what God has in store for you. And this woman refused to rise to the bait. Instead, she looked at Jesus and meekly said with humility, that's right, Lord, you can call me a dog and I may not deserve the bread, but at least the dogs get to eat the crumbs which fall from the children's table. She said it and Jesus is walking away and when she says that, he stops in mid-stride, turns around and asks, what did you say? And she said, even dogs get to eat the crumbs from the children's table. Now, Jesus 
is, uh, let me go back to this, I remind you, God in man. Revelation 1, I am first and I am last. I'm alpha and omega. I'm beginning and I'm the end. I straddle eternity. This foot is in the beginning. This foot is in the end. I'm everything in between. And listen, you know what he did? He said, though it's 10 years from now before you're supposed to get a miracle, if you can wait 10 years, your ship will come in. Guess what? I'm stepping 10 years into the future and I'm getting your miracle to bring it 10 years back to you right now. And literally, that's what he did. He said, you go home and tell me what has happened. And she went home and without calling the prayer line, without getting anointed, without anybody getting any healing oil, she walked home and her daughter was delivered because God changed her season. I've got a word to release. God is changing some seasons in this house. Hear what I'm talking about. For somebody in this room, your season is changing right now, this very minute. Stand with me. My time is gone. Changing your season. Prayer counselors, come help me quickly. You don't have to live in the dark anymore. You don't have to live in pain any longer. You see, for a man that has lung cancer, he might not be able to wait until his time comes. For somebody that's in the middle of a divorce court, you can't wait till your season comes. For somebody that just lost their job and is facing the repossession of a car or a house, you don't want to wait till your ship comes in. What you want to do is take the authority God gave you because you're not living under the first Adam anymore. You're living under the second. And you want to lift your hands and you want to say, I declare my season is changing today. 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 Blessings will overtake me. Blessings are chasing me down. Blessings are coming after me. Hallelujah. Health is pursuing me. Raises are pursuing me. Hello, somebody. Promotions are pursuing me. Amen. Would you come and join me quickly as I, I want to pray for you in, in closing. Come, everybody. We'll close the altar here, or the service here at the altar. And I want to release over you a blessing and pray that God will help you to experience a dramatic change in season. And if there's someone in this building that things are already going good for you, let me tell you what I want to speak over you. I want to speak over you that the plowman's going to overtake the reaper. I want to speak over you that there's going to be an acceleration, uninterrupted harvest. Amen. Continual harvest. Father, I pray today 
that whatever seasons of pain and darkness, whatever seasons of hurt, whatever seasons of loss, that there are no doubt people walking through that are in this altar area right now. No doubt that they are experiencing whatever those seasons may be. I speak right now and I pray that they will experience the release of a new season and a better day. It's a new season. Times are changing right now. I speak healing. I speak life. I speak restoration. If there's someone in this building that doesn't know God right now, right now is the time for you to give your heart to God. And like Andrew said in the video, not cheap believism, just saying, okay, I'm saved and gonna go ahead and do whatever I wanna do. But Lord, I surrender my heart to you right now. I wanna be a child of God. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior and mean it. And if you will pray that prayer right now with me, God will come into your heart. You don't have the Holy Spirit yet. You can receive it right now. Who's, who's closing this service for me? Pastor Donnie? Who, uh, Pastor Irvin? Where I'm looking. Oh, here you are. Come on up here. Amen. Because I've got to run. But I want you to lift your hands with me. And don't leave as soon as I get done. I've got to go to another service in the other building. But Donnie, I want you to leave the, pe leave the people in worship because I sense a breakthrough hanging over in this place. Father, say these words with me. Father, I thank you that you're a good God. And today I receive the truth of your word. My season is changing right now. I speak it into existence in Jesus' name. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. Amen.